Tonight we're going to wrap up the book of Jude. And I would like us to begin just by reading uh, our passage. We've looked a couple of weeks back at verse 1 through 4. And then last week we looked at verse 5 to 16. And so I just want us to read tonight the last section of the book of Jude, starting in verse 17, going through the end. So you follow along as I read. The scripture says this, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So that's our passage for the evening. When I think about the book of Jude, I often uh, find myself thinking about a particular type of movie scene. And I'm not going to give you a particular movie because you can fit this type of scene into a lot of different movies. I'm thinking of a movie that is either a military story, an army story where there's fighting, or maybe even a police type story, like a SWAT team type story. And the scene I'm thinking about comes towards the end of the movie. Uh, The conflict has been established. The characters have been introduced. The bad guys look like they really have a strong position. And the good guys, whether it's the army or the SWAT team, or the cops, or the special ops, or the Navy SEALs, or whoever, they're meeting together at the end of the movie, almost the end, and usually, I don't know why, but usually they're in a dimly lit room. I don't know why they don't turn the lights on, but the lights are usually really low, and they have all their gear on. I don't know why they have all their gear on, because they're not going out to do anything yet, but they have all their gear on usually, and they're sitting there, and they're getting like the last-minute instructions before they go out on some sort of mission. You can picture the kind of scene I'm talking about, right? Room's dark, all their gear's on, the leader, the general, the police chief, whoever is at the front of the room giving the instructions, talking about how bad the bad guys are, how dangerous they are. You've got to be on your your best game. You've got to be on your mind your P's and Q's and look out for each other, and here's how we're going to do it and we're going to go neutralize the threat. We're going to take these guys out, or we're going to win the battle, or whatever. They give this big motivational speech. And that's the kind of of thing I think about when I read through the book of Jude. Uh, It's a very similar type scene. Jude starts off, and he just introduces all the characters, right? He talks about who he is, and he talks about the people he's writing to. He says in verse 1, you're the ones who are called, you're beloved, you're kept, 
for Jesus. And he gets right to the point. He says, this is why I'm writing to you. Certain people have crept in. I wanted to write about our common salvation. But verse 4, certain people have crept in. And he describes these people, right? They creep in unnoticed. He says they're long ago designated for condemnation. There's no surprise to God. He says they're ungodly people. They pervert grace into sensuality and they deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Right? The bad guys, so to speak, have crept in. And your job, Jude says, is to fight. That's why he's writing to these people. That's why he's writing in effect to us. He says, I am writing to you. It's necessary to write to you. Verse 3, appealing to you to contend or fight for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So he starts off and he says, we have a fight on our hands, right? So you can picture this end of the movie scene. The special ops are gathered together and Jude's given the talk and he says, we're going to have to fight. People have crept in and we're going to have to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. That's the first section. The next section of the book, the middle part, the largest part, verse 5 to 16, is Jude talking about the people who have crept in, right? He's describing the enemy, so to speak. He's, he's painting this picture of who they are, what they're like. He's painting this picture for us that enables us to spot them. We talked about that last week. This is how you know who those who creep in are. They don't wear name tags. They don't have team shirts, They creep in unnoticed, so you need to know how to spot them. And he describes why they're so dangerous. All of that we talked about last week. And so you come to this last section, and you're really expecting Jude to really bring the hammer down here, right? You're going to have to fight. These people are really, really dangerous. And in the movies, this is the part where you start talking about grenades and machine guns, and fighter jets are going to come over and give us cover, and we've got our riot gear on, and you're ready for some kind of hand-to-hand mortal combat. And instead of that kind of fighting, Jude describes something different. There's no bullets, no martial arts, no explosions. Jude, in a roundabout way, I don't know if this is the greatest summary or the greatest paraphrase, but Jude sort of says, we're going to kill these people with kindness. And you expect him to say, we're going to fight these people, right? He said, you're going to have to fight. And then he describes these people who have crept in. And so you're like, okay, let's fight these people. And he doesn't really lay it out that way. It's not the Hollywood script. It's not the TV script. It's not what we expect in our minds. It's a different approach to this conflict. It's not fighting the enemy. It's fighting for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And the way that we do that is not according to worldly wisdom. It's according to God's wisdom, and Jude is describing that in the last part of the book. And so it's very straightforward. It's very structured. The writing of Jude is very sophisticated, very intentional. He lays everything out in a very orderly fashion. You don't have to get creative when you preach through the book of Jude, especially these verses, you just kind of have to walk through it, and it's all structured for you, and so that's what we're going to try to do tonight. We'll start with this. As we contend for the faith, Jude wants us to do several things. There's several things that he wants us to do, action that we need to take. 
Okay? This is verse 17 down to verse 23. And I just want to lay out for you the things that Jude wants us to do. Number one, Jude wants us to remember the predictions of the apostles in Jesus. He wants us to remember something. He says that right there in verse 17. You must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he tells us what they've predicted. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. They cause divisions, they're worldly, and they do not have the Holy Spirit. They're devoid of the Holy Spirit. Right? I want you to remember that somebody already told you this was going to happen. Don't be caught off guard. One commentator that I read said it like this. When you are forewarned, you're forearmed. When you're forewarned, you're forearmed. If I told you tonight someone is going to break into your house at 10 o'clock, you wouldn't go home and casually go through your normal routine, kick your feet up and watch the evening news, relax and take it easy. You wouldn't go to bed early at 9.45. You would be ready. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. That's what Jude is saying here. He wants them to remember. And I gave you a quote from a, a Bible commentator, a Bible scholar named Doug Moo. When Jude says remember, it's more than a mental exercise. And this is how Dr. Moo describes it. When Jude asks his readers to, quote-unquote, remember what the apostles said, he's not just asking them to perform a mental exercise. Remembering in the Bible includes the will, not just the mind. In recalling what God has done or said in the past, we are to take it to heart in a way that affects, and you can underline these two words, I think I have this in your notes, our thinking and behaving. To remember in the biblical sense changes the way you think, but it also changes the way that you act, the way that you live, the way that you behave. And as Texans, we have a really, really great example of this. Texas history, April 21st, 1836. The Texan army attacks Santa Ana and the Mexican troops. It's the Battle of San Jacinto. Historians say it lasted about 20 minutes. And in that fight, Battle of San Jacinto, on the backside of the Battle of the Alamo, what are all the Texan soldiers shouting as they go into that fight? Remember the Alamo. They did not mean, let's sit down and have a conversation about what happened at the Alamo. Let's sit down and just have a mental rehearsal of the events of how everything happened at the Alamo. That's not what they meant by remember, right? What they meant is remember, think about it, and let those thoughts then translate into action. That's the biblical idea of remembering, right? It's not just a mental exercise, but it actually plays out in your life. And Judah's saying, I want you to remember that this has been predicted. This shouldn't catch you off guard. Jesus, Matthew 24. His disciples are asking about end time events. And one of the things Jesus says is many people will come and claim to be the Messiah. You just need to be ready for that. 
There's going to be false teachers that come. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, in the latter times, these sorts of false teachers are going to come and they're going to be divisive and they're going to be ungodly and they're going to be wicked. He tells Timothy, be ready for this. You need to expect it. Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3 says, in the last days there will be scoffers. There will be people who come and they teach things that don't line up with the faith once for all delivered to the saints. So Jude says, Number one, what do you need to do? You need to remember. Number two, Jude wants us to keep ourselves in the love of God. And this, to me, is the most interesting part of our particular passage. Jude says, keep yourself in the love of God. Look at verse 20 and verse 21. I'm reading out of the ESV. I think it does a pretty good job of translating this. He says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, that leads to eternal life. Different translations approach this differently. Okay? Some translations try to smooth it out a little bit because it's not exactly the smoothest writing when you translate it to English. Let me just give you a little bit of background on the Greek when you read verse 20 and 21. In the Greek, it's very clear, it's obvious. There is only one command in verse 20 to 21. There's one thing in those verses that Jude is commanding us to do. One imperative tense command, and it's keep. Keep yourself in the love of God. And with that word keep, there's three participles, three words that sort of float around it. And those participles explain, they describe how you keep yourself. And the participles, you can read them in the ESV, they have ing on the back end of them, are build, pray, and wait. Building, praying, waiting, right? One command, three sort of descriptive words about how you keep yourself. Now, let me tell you why I think this is interesting. I want you to look at Jude verse 1. Those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. That's who he's writing to. People who are called to salvation, people who are loved by the Father, and people who are kept. That's not people who are keeping themselves. It's people who are kept. The people are passive in that. God is doing the keeping. We are doing the being kept. Does that make sense? Right? We don't do the action in that verse. He says, I'm writing to people who God is keeping. And look what he says. We're going to talk about this again in a minute. Verse 24. To him who is able to keep you, God can keep you. You don't keep yourself. God keeps you. And you read verse 1 and you read verse 24 and you say, well, this is great. I kick my feet up spiritually. God's going to keep me. Easy peasy, Japanesey. I don't have to do anything. God's going to do all the keeping. I'm safe. I'm secure. And then Jude just drops a bomb on that mentality. And he says, this is one of the things he wants us to do. Verse 21. Keep yourself in the love of God. That's an action you're commanded to do. I'm commanded to do. Keep yourself in God's love. 
I like how Tom Schreiner explains it, and I put this quote in your notes. He says, those who trust Christ remain in the faith because of the preserving, you need to pay attention to that word, the preserving work of God the Father, or you could say the keeping work. He keeps you, okay? You remain in the faith because God preserves you. Nevertheless, he says, the promise that God will keep his own does not nullify the responsibility of believers to, notice the word here, persevere, not preserve. God does the preserving. We do the persevering. Does not nullify the responsibility of believers to persevere in the faith. God keeps his own. That's so clear in the book of Jude. Verse 1 and verse 24. God keeps you. He does the keeping. And yet, believers must keep themselves in God's love. That's verse 21. Keep yourself in God's love. Jude represented well the biblical tension between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. On the one hand, believers only avoid apostasy because of the grace of God. He does the keeping. On the other hand, the grace of God does not cancel out the need for believers to exert all their energy to remain in God's love. And Jude just puts both of them side by side. And in our little puny brains, we think it's got to be one or the other. Either God's going to keep me and it's not up to me at all. Or I've got to keep myself and God's not going to do it for me. And Jude says, God is the one who keeps you. And you are entirely responsible for keeping yourself. And Jude doesn't, he doesn't blush at that. He doesn't feel like he's contradicted himself. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write it. Both of those things go together. God keeps you, and you keep yourself in God's love. So let's talk about those participles. How do we keep ourselves in God's love? We keep ourselves in God's love by building ourselves up in the most holy faith. That's one of the ways you keep yourself in God's love. You build yourself up in the most holy faith. When Jude says that in verse 20, build yourselves up, building yourselves up in the most holy faith. Faith here is not like optimism. It's not like I have confidence that tomorrow is going to be a good day. It's not I have faith that things are going to turn out for the better. Right? This is not like everybody get together and reenact the scene from Annie where we say, the sun will come out tomorrow, bet your bottom dollar, it's coming out tomorrow, it's going to be okay. Doesn't matter how you feel, just it's going to be okay. That's not what, Jude's not saying build yourself up in optimism. When he says build yourself up in the most holy faith, you should circle that word faith and you should draw a line back to Jude verse 3 where he talks about the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Same idea in both verses. The faith. Not just, I think it's going to be okay tomorrow. I think it's going to turn my way in the end. Build yourselves up in the faith. In verse 3, he says it's the faith once for all delivered to the saints. It's not going to change. It has been delivered to you once, and you're not going to get it again. You're not going to get a revision. You're not going to get an update. You're not going to get version 2.0. It's been once for all delivered to you. 
Build yourselves up in that faith, that body of doctrine, that body of truth. And then he describes it later in verse 20 as the most holy faith, the most set-apart faith, the most unique faith, the most one-of-a-kind faith. What does he mean by holy faith? I think he means every other faith on the planet, any other kind of faith or religious system is devised by man. Man dreamed it up. Man wrote it down. Man codified it. This is revealed faith. It's been delivered to you, verse 3. You didn't dream it up. It's been delivered to you. God revealed it to you. Build yourselves up in that most holy faith. Throughout your life as a believer, you should be constantly growing and growing and growing in the faith. You should never stop learning. Sometimes I talk with believers, Christians, and maybe they've gone to church for a long time or maybe they've just been alive a long time, and they sort of talk to me like, you know, I don't think I really need any more Bible study. I think I pretty much got it. And I just think, man, I wish I had it because I have, I've not got it yet. I mean, I'm still reading and learning and building, and I think they ought to be building too. And I think if your mindset is, okay, I've reached a plateau here, well, you need to find a ladder and keep climbing up somehow. You need to keep building. Jude says, this is one of the ways you keep yourselves in God's love. Keep yourself in God's love. How do you do it? You build yourself up in the most holy faith. Secondly, you pray in the Holy Spirit. We keep ourselves in God's love by praying in the Holy Spirit. I do not think that Jude, when he says, verse 20, the last phrase, praying in the Holy Spirit, I don't think he's talking about some kind of prayer language. I don't think he's talking about some kind of speaking in tongues, some kind of mystical thing. I don't think that's in his mind at all. You may have heard people suggest that sort of ideal. I don't think that's where he's going. I think what Jude is saying is you keep yourself in God's love by praying in the Spirit. And when you look up that phrase elsewhere, it always has the idea of we are completely dependent on God. We are completely dependent on him. So I just want to show you a few verses. Look at Romans 8. Flip over in your Bible to Romans 8. And I want you to see how Paul talks about the relationship between our prayers and the work of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, verse 26 and verse 27. Paul describes it like this. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. I think if you're praying in the Spirit, you understand I'm weak and I need the help of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes, the Spirit prays for the saints according to the will of God. I think that's the kind of thing Jude's getting at. You keep yourself in God's love by recognizing just how weak you are and how much you need the Holy Spirit to continue the work that God has started in your life. You're dependent on Him. Flip over and look at Ephesians 6. I think Paul describes it 
very similarly in Ephesians 6. He talks about, starting in verse 10, you need to be strong. He talks about we're standing against the schemes of the devil. We're wrestling against the rulers and the authorities and the cosmic powers. And he talks about the armor of God, all the different pieces of the armor that we need to put on. And then he says this at verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. I think in that passage, Paul's saying, look, you're in a battle you can't win on your own. You can't win this fight on your own power. You're going to need God to help you stand. You're going to need the armor of God to help you endure the attacks of the enemy. You're going to need the Spirit of God to sustain you through this battle. And when Jude says in verse 20... We're going to keep ourselves in the love of God by praying in the Holy Spirit. I think it's that sense of dependence that he's talking about. You need to recognize just how weak you are, just how incapable you are. And you've got to be totally dependent on the work of the Spirit in your life. So how do we keep ourselves in God's love? Building ourselves up in the faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Number three, waiting for the mercy of Jesus. Waiting for the mercy of Jesus. And that's my favorite part of, of all of this, this idea of keeping yourself. We just wait for the mercy of Jesus. Christianity, this faith once for all delivered to the saints, is not first and foremost, here's what God needs you to do for him. That's not the heart of our faith. The heart of our faith is, this is what God has done for you. It's not up to you and me to do a whole lot of anything. God is the one who's done it all for us. We're the weak ones. We're the dependent ones. We're the powerless ones. We're the incapable ones. He's the one, Jude 1, who called us to salvation. He's the one who loves us when we were unlovable. He's the one who keeps us. And we keep ourselves in his love by simply waiting for the mercy of Jesus. Waiting. You don't have to do anything. Just wait. Just wait for Jesus to come back. That's one of the ways you keep yourself in the love of God. There's a, a little Trinitarian aspect of that passage we could dig into, but notice in verse 20, he talks about the Holy Spirit. He talks about God, usually as a reference to the Father when it's generic like that. And then he talks about Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ. So a little reference to the Trinity. So we keep ourselves in God's love. One last thing. This is really a curveball for Jude, but Jude wants us to show mercy to those who have been affected by false teaching. And this is the part that might really catch you off guard. Because he says, you're going to have to contend. You're going to have to fight for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And then he details these are the ones who have crept in and they're really bad news and they're really dangerous and you need to know how to spot them. And you're waiting for Jude to say, here's how you attack them. Here's how you go after them. And instead, he does a very Jesus-like thing. And he says, I want you to have mercy on these people. I'm not asking you to go pick fights. I'm asking you to be merciful to your enemies. It's a very Christ-like thing to do. Have mercy on those who have been affected by false teaching. And I'll just give you the, the fill-ins here. 
and we'll talk about them. Number one, we have mercy on those who doubt. Mercy on those who doubt. Second, we pull some back from destruction. And thirdly, we're fearful even as we show mercy. All of this is in verse 22 and 23. He says, Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Jude wants us to have mercy on those who doubt. Okay, he knows these people are going to creep in. And they're going to pervert God's grace into sensuality. And they're going to deny Jesus. And people in your church are going to hear that. And some are just going to bow up and they're going to know the faith once for all delivered to the saints and they're going to be ready to stand. But some are going to, some are going to start to question. Some are going to have second thoughts. Some are going to say, well, I don't know, that sounds, it makes sense what they're saying, right? And Jude, again, he doesn't say, you see those people with doubts and you send them across the street to the Methodist church. He says, I want you to have mercy on those people who doubt. Have mercy on them. I think it's what Peter talks about in 1 Peter 3.15 where he says, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. People are doubting. People have questions. People aren't sure about something. Don't kick them to the spiritual curb. Give them an answer, right? You're building yourself up in the most holy faith. Be ready to give them an answer. Have mercy on these people. Pulling some back from destruction. He describes it as snatching them out of the fire. And I think what he's saying here is a, a step beyond those with doubts and questions. I think he's talking now about those who have kind of bought in. They're heading in the wrong direction. And Jude is saying, you need to pull those people back. He doesn't exactly tell us how, but he says, you need to care about those people enough to pull them back from destruction. If they're wandering away from the faith once for all delivered to the saints, you have an obligation to those people. Not to fight against them, but to fight for them. And to fight for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Pull those people back from the fire. And then... Really fascinating. Show mercy with fear. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. I think Jude is not a rookie. He's not a, a greenhorn. He's got some experience under his belt. And Jude knows, I've seen some people try to show mercy to those who are headed in the wrong direction. And they've ended up being pulled in the wrong direction. And so as you go after these people, he says, you need to do it with a little bit of fear and trembling. Paul talks about this in uh, Galatians. Look at Galatians chapter 6. Paul says the same thing to a church that was wandering off in all sorts of different directions. He says, Galatians 6.1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Again, don't kick him to the curb. Be gentle with those people. Restore those people. As you do it, Paul says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. 
Right? You're going to go after those who are really struggling with doubt. You're going to go after those who are falling into destruction. You need to be fearful as you do it. Don't be pulled in the wrong direction. If you're a recovering alcoholic, you probably shouldn't go share the gospel at the bar. Right? Just be aware. Probably not the place for you to go do that. Be fearful as you try to pull people back. If you struggle with pornography, you probably shouldn't be someone else's accountability partner because there's going to be temptation in that, right? If your marriage is not on solid ground, you probably don't need to be going after certain people because the things that they're doing and the things that they're saying might be pulling you in the wrong direction. Have mercy on others, but show mercy, Jude says, with fear. No mercy with fear. So that's what we're going to do. The last part of the book is really simple. The last couple of verses is we contend for the faith. Jude wants us to know several things. There's a couple of things we're going to do. We're going to remember. And we're going to keep. And we're going to show mercy. That's what we're going to do. But Jude also wants us to know a few things, and that's the last two verses here. We'll just read them again. He says, To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Okay, what does Jude want us to know? He wants us to know that God is able to keep his people. And again, I realize in our brains, you're, you're looping back up to the previous point, and you're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm supposed to keep myself. I thought, I, I thought the keeping was on me. And Jude says, yes, keep yourself. But I want you to know that God keeps you. He is able to keep you. By my count, there's three places in the New Testament that use the phrase, God is able. God is able to do something. Paul says to the Romans at the end of the letter, God is able to strengthen you. He's able to do that. And Paul says to the Ephesians in chapter 3, God is able to do far more above and beyond, abundantly more than you ever thought he could do. And Jude uses that phrase, by my count, it's the third time in the New Testament, and he says, God is able to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. This is, we've talked about this before, this is not the popularized version of once saved, always saved that gets paraded in a lot of churches. This is not the popularized version of as long as you have prayed a prayer, as long as you have made a decision, then you're secure forever no matter what. That's not what he's saying. He is saying God is able to keep you. You have the responsibility to keep yourself in his love, but God is able to keep you. He very much is talking about the eternal security of the believer. God can keep you. He says two things here. Number one, that God keeps his people from falling, right? He is able to keep you from stumbling. That word stumbling in the Greek is used in other ancient documents to talk about a horse that doesn't stumble, 
a sure-footed horse, right? If you go horseback riding and you're a novice, you don't want the horse that's going to stumble and fall all over the trail, right? You want the horse that is sure-footed. That's what Jude's talking about here. God is able to keep you from stumbling. He is also, on a positive note, keeping his people for holiness. And both of those things are part of the security of the believer. The popularized version of once saved, always saved, only focuses on the stumbling part. God will keep you from stumbling. He'll get you to heaven someday as long as you've prayed the right right prayer. But Jude is painting a bigger picture of our security. Yes, God can keep you from stumbling. He can keep you from falling away. He will do that for those who are true believers. If you are truly saved, you will always truly be saved because God will keep you. But it's not just that he's going to keep you from falling away. He's also going to keep you for holiness. Right? This is what Paul said to the Philippians in chapter 1. He said to his best friends in Philippi, I am confident that the one who started a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. He's not going to give up his work. I'm confident that he's going to finish the work he started in you. Yes, he's going to keep you from stumbling, but he's also going to keep you for holiness. And last is this. Jude wants us to know that our focus has to be on God and not on the ones who creep in. And that's how the letter ends. That's how the book ends. And I told you last week, there's a great danger when you read the book of Jude. Jude says people have crept in unnoticed, and he describes them, and they're rotten people. They're bad people. And the danger when you read the book of Jude is you start to look for creepers in the church, right? You look at everyone suspiciously, and they don't say something exactly right on a doctrinal level, and you start to think, uh, might be a wolf. Might be one of those people who have crept in. They might be here to destroy us. They might be here to blow our church up. We've got to fight this person. We've got to stand up against this person. We've got to confront this person. That's really not what Jude's describing. It's not so much that we're fighting people, fighting against people, but we're fighting for something, for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And the book ends with Jude saying, The best way you can do that, the best way you can fight, is not to worry about people who have crept in, but it's to keep your eyes fixed on God, to remember who He is, and to remember what He's able to do for His people. And so he ends in verse 25 saying, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority, before all time and now and forever. Amen. That's the charge of the book of Jude. You're going to fight. You're going to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. You're going to be aware of some things. You're going to be mindful of some things. You're going to do some things. But ultimately, your focus is not going to be on people. Your focus is going to be on God, and that's how you contend for the faith. So with that said, we end Jude, and I want to pray for us that God would make these things true of us. And uh, then we'll move on with the evening.